Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Subhub Podcast. I'm Danny Moreno. And I'm MK Sullivan. And today we have a fun agenda for you. We're going to be doing a couple of recaps of the past weekend's results, including Broken Arrow and Mount Washington. Uh, we are also going to do a preview of Mont Blanc Marathon, the second stop of the Golden Trail World Series this year. And then please stay tuned because we're going to be chatting with recent back-to-back champion, Stian Ungermund from Norway. Um, so yeah, really big weekend and excited to chat with MK about it. Yes, I know a ton of good uh, subaltar results for us after World Worlds was good, but I feel like we're finally back into like the swing of things. Yeah, I know. I feel like this entire month is just going to be nonstop for athletes participating in races, but also just like anyone who's a fan of the sport, you can just like geek out on every weekend uh, and be following some sort of big race, which is really fun. Yeah. So let's get started with Broken Arrow, which happens in uh, Alpine Meadows. And it's hands down one of the most competitive, like, sub ultra races in the U.S. I think mostly because Brendan Madigan offers not only a great race, but a huge prize purse, um, which, you know, we all like. <laughs> yeah, it's been really cool to watch this race just continue to grow upon itself. Um, like MK said, lots of great prize money, which, you know, money speaks to a lot of professional athletes, especially when it's their profession and their livelihood. Um, but also just like the atmosphere there always looks really fun. And I think what I really appreciate about Broken Arrow the most is that even with the conditions each year, they like make it happen somehow and like try to adjust. Yeah, I loved watching the videos of them like carving out stairs and like, um, yes. I don't know if you saw the ones of people like glissade, glissading down in the slides, like on their butts during the 43K. Yes, no, <laughs> I definitely love that. Yeah, it was a, it was interesting weekend because when it came to the weather for Broken Arrow, they started with the VK on Friday uh, and Bluebird skies looked to be, you know, everyone was pretty much just like in a normal racing kit. Then you got to Saturday, which was the 43K. Um, shout out to Helen, who is a friend of the pod. Uh, she got the women's yes. win there in a very dominant fashion. Um, and she's definitely someone to continue keeping your eyes on. She's already, I would say she's past the rising star phase, but I think she's just going to do bigger and bigger things in the coming years and probably later this year. And then sadly, the 23K on that day, they had... <laughs> 80 mile per hour winds on the ridge. And they were like, uh, this probably isn't safe for the athletes uh, and everyone participating. So they actually ended up rerouting the 23K to doing two loops of the 11K. And that looked like a really fun time. And I'm sure as a spectator, it was actually really cool to see that kind of like two loop format for even a shorter race. I know. And it's funny because as somebody who like really digs the 50K distance, the reason I haven't done the 48K or whatever it is at Broken Arrow is because I don't want to do two loops. And then you get there for the 23K and they're like, ah, oh, just kidding. We got two loops today. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. Um, but definitely the right call. And it, it ended up looking like the weather for that lower part of the mountain was safe and fun for everyone, which was cool. Yes. So on day one, we had the vertical K and our men's results for that race uh in first was andrea roasten at 39 51 darren thomas who 
what has been injured for a year. I had a feeling he was going to finish in the top three, but he um, has been out for so long that it was like, who knows how that's going to go. But he got second in 41.10, so only 20 seconds behind first place. And then in third was Henri Emonod and uh, in 41.29. So those times are pretty sick compared to previous years. I think they did finally shorten the course again after it had been rerouted a couple of times for construction, but looked like a really close race. Yeah, honestly, what stuck out to me was out of four out of the top five are from different countries. Like it's just like a testament that Broken yeah. Arrow is becoming more of a uh, internationally recognized event. Um, Steon, who we talk about later or talk with later in this episode, he even mentions Broken Arrow. He's like, oh, Broken Arrow looks like fun. Uh, so it's really exciting to have, at least for me and MK, somewhat of a local race starting to blow up on the international scene. Um, and again, just a testament to their live stream and all their efforts there. On the women's side, Anna Gibson uh, won in 47.09. Uh, she's a member of the trail team, and <laughs> she had a different double from some people in that she just finished her uh, NCAA career at Washington in the 1500. Um, so I'm sure it was nice to to get out there and do her first trail race post college uh, and take the win. Yep. And then second, we got Jade Bellsberg from San Luis Obispo at 48 flat. So only 50 seconds behind Anna Gibson. And then third, Sarah Wilhoit from uh, in 48.25. So like that race was also not that far apart. No. Yeah. And there's a cool video. I feel like it's pretty typical for a VK. Yeah. Especially I think when the VK is under the hour mark, I think when you start getting like closer to an hour over an hour, it tends to spread out a little bit more. Um, but there's just like less time to be racing, which I think makes it more exciting. Uh, then we go to the 23 K, which, um, fun fact, I am a post, uh, broken arrow champion just to, you know, boost my ego a little bit to our listeners. Yeehaw. <laughs> Yeehaw. Back when it was a 27 K, uh, this course has been rerouted many, many a times. Um, but on the men's side, uh, Eli Hemming took the win here at 134. I'm actually kind of bummed. We missed him in the preview, um, just like an oversight on our end, but he definitely would have been a strong favorite if we had noticed that. I don't know. Both of us. Just I like, think we did mention him because we mentioned we that both oh. Hemmings were doing that oh, insane yes. triple. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Never mind. My bad. Yeah. Uh, turtle brain over here um <laughs> and then in second was chad hall in 137 uh i thought this was like a pretty good effort for him he recently did a race up in big bear i think maybe like the previous week or two weeks ago um so three minutes off of eli chad is also my dark horse for the season so i got some points there um and then third um is mika who we have an interview with he's also new to the trail team recent stanford grad uh, and he was third in 138. And I'm so bummed because I missed him on my free trail fantasy. And I totally would have put him like top five. And I, I'm bummed I missed those points. <laughs> I know I, that that was somebody that we, I think, forgot to cover in our preview. That's probably who I was thinking of then. Yeah. The- yeah. Yeah. And, and on-, on the women's side, you have yeah. Allie Mack, who we were like, <laughs> pretty sure was not going to race. And I think she was pretty sure she wasn't going to race either. Um, and according to her Instagram posts, some friends convinced her to race. She won by six minutes. <laughs> and like, 
pretty pretty much from what I hear led from wire to wire classic Allie Mack and uh I just I'm glad she did it I, you know big fan of like taking a break if you need to take a break but like Broken Arrow is something that she has so much experience in and it's such a supportive environment like I'm I'm glad she went out there and just crushed Anna Gibson comes back from the BK gets second place in 157.50 and then Tabor Hemming third in 158.55 yeah no, it was really cool to see Ali Mack out there. Um, like MK said, if you need a break, respect there, do what your body needs. Um, but sometimes like stuff like this, I imagine she feels a little bit of healing from worlds. I know she was really disappointed from that. And so just seeing her smile on her face, like in nearly every picture and video, you could just tell she was having a good time. And then her classic finish with Harley, uh, I think is becoming a staple at Broken Arrow and just all races of them coming into the finish line. And honestly, looking at her, I don't think she was carrying anything. Like I didn't see a belt or a vest and she just like crushed for the entire race. So that was really cool. And shout out to Janelle Links too. She just missed out on the podium after doubling from GoPro, uh, just a couple minutes behind Tabor there. Yeah, I know it. That the reroute of the course made it just short enough that I don't think you needed to carry anything. It would be nice, but like definitely not a requirement. Yes, no, definitely. Um, so yeah, thanks again to Broken Arrow for creating such a really cool event. They to me kind of also have helped like push this standardization that like all the distances are equal. Um, especially when you compare like a sub ultra to an ultra. The last few years, the prize money has been the same amount, whereas in a lot of races, the longer races are the same amount. Um, and yeah, excited to get back there one day. It's one of those races I always have on my calendar and it's just such a busy time. It's hard to get there. Um, but yeah, just big thanks to Brendan and team there. I know Tommy and I were just talking about this on like the last three runs that we've been on. It's like, why do we keep missing broken arrows? Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, hard it's we'll hard. be back yes. one day brendan i swear yes i know every year i'm like i'm sorry i'll be back one day um <laughs> and then uh, uh switching from broken arrow uh, before we get into mont blanc there was also mount washington this is a really famous uh has a lot of history on the east coast it's a road climb for a little over a 10k or i think it's about a 10k uh joe gray ended up taking his seventh win there um, and he actually beat out Sam Chalanga, which is actually a more commonly recognized name in the road space. Um, and then Tyler Andrews pulled off third on the men's side. Yeah, this is one of those like uh, crazy uphill races that if you are a road athlete that has like a pretty good climbing ability, the grade pretty much never changes. I think it's something like a 10 to 12% grade the entire time. So if you can just grind it out, it's, it's a fast race for how steep it is. Yeah. Yeah. Joe Gray ended up running just about an hour. Um, and Sam Chalanga was 101.54 and then Tyler Andrews was 102.106. And just a quick little call out there is Joe Gray is 39 and Sam Chalanga is 38. So if you're looking for some inspiration on if I will ever get better at uphill, uh, look at these two guys <laughs> that are just still crushing it. <laughs> Just keep practicing it. Just keep practicing. <laughs> and then on the women's side, we have our champion is Amber Friera, uh, followed in second by Mary Beth Chilenga, and then third, Megan Davis. 
Yes. Um, and there are times where 75, 16, 60, 76, 03, and 77, 46. And then uh, in fourth place was actually Casey Enman, Ensman, who recently represented Team USA at World. So that was a nice uh, so double back. Casey was actually not, yeah, Casey was not at World. She ended up getting sick oh. and was unable to travel. So it's really good to see her healthy and back racing the weekend after. Nice. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. happy she's happy again. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> those are the results. Now to Mont Blanc Marathon, something a race MK and I know very well. Uh, we both participated in this race last year. It's the it's been the second stop of the Golden Trail World Series since the Golden Trail World Series has begun. Um, even before that, I believe this race had like a lot of history to it um, just because it's been happening for a little while and it's kind of like the precursor in Chamonix before the big UTMB week um, the course is definitely it's changed in over the years but now it's a loop that starts in downtown Chamonix you go out towards Valorcine which is kind of like more up in the valley and then you re return back re <laughs> return back to Chamonix which is really cool that you get to start and finish at the same start finish line. Uh, the race is about 26 miles, 26 and a half miles with, uh, close to 8,000 feet of vert. And I think the second half of the race, correct me if I'm wrong, Danny, cause you've run these races, um, covers the final like 15, 10 to 15 miles of OCC, CCC and UTMB, correct? It's the final climb is the same as all, all those races, except uh, UTMB. UTMB like drops in a different way, I think. Okay. Um, but anyone who has raced Mont Blanc or any of the UTMB races, I think it you like feel it in your bones, the, the climb to Lef Legere. Um, so this happens <laughs> in like the last 30 to 35 K of Mont Blanc. And you've already done so much climbing. This part is really exposed. It tends to have a lot of fans because there's a, um, gondola that you can take to the top there. And so I'm starting to know this climb very well. And if you're feeling good, you can like, you can run it, but most of the time you, you are hiking it and dying in the heat. <laughs> um, but this is always yes. a really fun place to watch. And you can see it. Yeah. And you could see it the entire time. You could see it uh, for like, like at least 20 minutes. <laughs> yes, exactly. And you could see what's hard too, is you see your competitors in front of you and they seem so close, but they're not that close. Um, and what's always really fun about this is it's always going into the last downhill. So there's actually a lot of movement that can happen from this point to the end. And so it's just a very fun tactical part of the race, um, which is really fun to watch. Um, but as far as Mont Blanc goes, they call it the roller coaster because it is just nonstop. You're climbing or you're descending. The first part in quotes is very runnable, <laughs> but basically it's like a rolling <laughs> uphill for about 10, 12 K, uh, before you start the longest climb of the race, which is very steep pitch up and then pretty technical downhill. Um, and then right after that, you go right into more rolling uphill, the climb up to Le Flagere and back down. Um, but yeah, the key to this race is and I you think send you're, it. 
and then you just send it. Um, and that last downhill has a lot of switchbacks too. It's not like the most switchbacks, but it's enough that it can kind of like break up your rhythm. And I think the key to this race is a combination of like figuring out how to stay cool because there are some heat spots, but you just like, you're con you're constantly climbing or going up or going down. <laughs> Yeah. And Danny is saying this all from the perspective of someone who crushed it last year and got podium. So yeah, she knows the race. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, I do have some bias there that I have an enjoyable memory <laughs> from this race. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> such a good race. Such a good race. Yeah. Um, so yeah, with Mont Blanc, this year, what's really exciting, as we mentioned, it's part of the Golden Trail World Series, the second stop. Um, it's at a very interesting time this year because usually you have Zagama and there's only a couple of other races that might like divert people's attention uh, before they do Mont Blanc. But if they're committed to the series, they usually will rest for, you know, about four weeks before they go into Mont Blanc. But this year, there was kind of a curveball because the world championships happened recently. So I think as we dive into some of these names, there's not some usual players for not just the world championship reasons, but many others. But I would say primarily because of the world championships. And so it's going to be interesting to see um, people's strategy on whether they show up to this race or not. Yeah, they're they're only two weeks apart, a little bit more. One of them's on a Thursday and one of them's on a Saturday. But so it's like 16 days between this two very similar courses. The World Championships was 29 miles with 11,000 feet of gain. And Mont, Mont, Mont Blanc Marathon is 26 and a half with almost 8,000 feet of gain. Yeah. Personally, at, when I was thinking I would do... Uh, when I was trying to decide, I kind of, I tend to be a more conservative person with my calendar, just with traveling to Europe. And I just, for me as an athlete, I can't recover as fast as some people for many reasons, but that's just me. Um, so I was going to do Mont Blanc. Um, but then again, there's some really very talented recoverers. I don't know what to call them in our in our space that are going to be doubling back. Uh, so before we dive into the names, just some kind of like fun facts about Mont Blanc this year, it's going to be live broadcasted on TV channels uh, in the US, Canada, Italy, France, China, Belgium, Africa, Croatia, Slovenia, and most of, uh, of Europe on Eurosport. So that's a really exciting thing for our sport. Um, they do have, you know, some equipment that they'll be carrying with them, but they are putting an extra emphasis. And this is hilarious because this rule has always existed. <laughs> um, it's just, it's been very difficult to catch people doing it is if you cut the path. So that means if you cut a switchback, that's actually a penalty and uh, it's a 30 minute penalty. So you could imagine if you cut a switchback, you are probably moving back a minimum of like five to eight places with how close this race is. Um, what do you least. think about that? At least, what do you think about that, MK? <laughs> I mean, I'm all for it. That was like something I was super concerned about at the World Championships. Is like that one of their rules was like, do not cut the course, and I was like, 
I don't want to get disqualified. Like I worked so hard to get here. What happens if I see somebody else cutting the switchback? Like, you know, how does this actually work? And you and I both run mom blog marathon before people most definitely cut switchbacks. So I'm curious to see if it's something that's actually enforced or if it's just like what it has been in the past where it's just like, those are against the rules, (laughs) you know, but we're not going to be there. So yeah, but you read a course record and that's better for our marketing. So we're not going to say anything. Um, exactly yes but there's going to be camera camera people with them the entire way um so yeah I think when stuff is on camera you're less likely to get away with it this happened in 2021 at Oladeniria when people were getting handed bottles and you technically weren't allowed to get handed bottles in some of the rules um so we'll see what happens uh okay interesting start list let's start to dive into it we are highlighting kind of like the top 10 favorites on both the men's and the women's side. Uh, let's start with the men. So we have uh, Manuel Marias. He was first at OCC last year. He's won multiple sky running series um, and is always kind of like top five, top 10 in Golden Trail World Series. But most recently, he was first at Zagama in actually a really good time uh, there, which is awesome. He's definitely going to be a contender in our opinion because he didn't run worlds. So he's not coming in with like super dead legs. So he stuck to that traditional Zagama rest and then into Mont Blanc. Then we have Eluzine Elusi. Uh, He was fourth at Mont Blanc last year and ended up second overall in the standings. He also was absent from the world championships. um, So a little bit more fresh. There's Jonathan Albin. Uh, he had won Mont Blanc last year. So he's the re- returning champion, second at CCC uh, last year and first at OCC in 2022. And um, he was third at Worlds, right, MK? Or fourth no, so he was top 10, but I don't think he was even oh, in the yes. top six. That's right. Yeah, so he did yep. not have the day that like I think either of us expected from him. Yeah. That's right. But his team ended up winning. So I'm sure that was, uh, you know, bittersweet moment for him. Yeah. It'll with be only three people. With only three people. Uh, Great Britain took the win there. Yeah. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how he does because, yeah, that's three big races in the span of a month, basically, or a little about five weeks. Um, so we'll see how Jonathan does there. He does have a lot of experience with longer races. So maybe... The body's used to recovering. We will see. Uh, another gentleman is the one and only Remy Bonet, the uphill machine, uh, winner of overall Golden Trails World Series last year. A little bit of a disappointment at Zagama. He was leading most of the race uh, and ended up falling back in position, uh, I believe, to fourth place there. He wasn't at Worlds, which honestly, I was surprised he didn't just go for the VK championship. That was like, his chance to really solidify himself as like the VK keen. Um, but who knows why he made that decision. And then uh, we have Bart. Yeah, I would say that is. Oh, sorry. I think I'm a, de- a little delayed, but uh, I I do think that is a bit of a sponsor obligation. If I had to guess anything. Yeah, I would guess that too. Um, 
Solomon puts a lot of emphasis on their Golden Trail World Series. I think that doesn't come as a surprise to a lot of people. Uh, it's not like we're sharing some skeleton in the closet. Um, so I'm guessing that's why he wasn't that <laughs> world. <laughs> uh, then we have Bart. Uh, he is yep. a Polish runner, per Dzuski, um, third overall at the 2021 overall Golden Trail World Series. Also had a slightly, we say disappointing, but I think it's just like, based on what these athletes are kind of expecting of themselves. So we'll say slightly disappointing performance at Sagama. And then we have Eli Hemming. You want to add some color there, MK? Eli Hemming just won the gold or broken arrow, whatever it was, 22 K. And he beat Chad Hall, who both of us kind of thought would have a big trail season this year. Uh, but Eli is obviously a great athlete. He got second overall at the Golden Trail World Series last year. Um, so he's he's no joke. And this is his first time doing Mont Blanc Marathon. And it's the week after Broken Arrow. So we'll see how that goes. But honestly, I think he's got a pretty good shot. Yeah, I think if he recovers well, um, he actually might be a little bit more fresh than some of these other guys. And maybe something that might swing one way or the other is how their travel goes to Europe um, and how that went and everything. But yeah, he pretty, I think Eli will be up there in the top five. Um, And then if he can execute on the day, which he's good at doing, I think he'll be up there. Um, Another gentleman is Anders Wittek. He recently got seventh at Worlds. Um, so he falls into that same category. He's the gentleman that finished hand in hand with Steon at Istria, a uh, new member of the A6 Fuji trail team. <laughs> um, so he'll be there. We have Manuel Innerhofer. He's a Mexican or an athlete from Mexico, a Mexican athlete is what I was going to say. An athlete from Mexico. Uh, he only ran <laughs> uh, Sierra now last year, but he took fifth overall in the national series. So he uh, qualified for the national series through the um mexican national series series sorry there's a lot in there <laughs> and then last two guys daniel osans and anthony felber uh, danny is from spain anthony is from france uh both very i would say like veterans of the golden trail world series have done many of those races um multiple top tens and danny actually recently got six at the vk in world so even though he falls in that like world's Mount Mont Blanc double. Um, he did the VK. So I feel like his legs are going to be pretty good and ready for this. Yeah. Much less of a attacks on the legs, more of attacks on the aerobic system. So on the women's side is like a totally different from the men's side. We didn't have that many men doubling back, uh, to Mont Blanc from worlds, but we have a lot of women that are doubling back. So, um, our top 10, are Daniela Omis, who actually won Zagama recently. She was in the top 10 uh, at Worlds. I believe she was seventh, but I'm not totally sure. Sophia Lockley will be fresh. She did not run Broken Arrow or the Mont Blanc Marathon. And last year, she was second overall at the Golden Trail World Series. Um, she is a Nordic skier from like Vermont or something who just like broke out onto the trail scene last year by winning. Uh, I think the first race that she won was Broken Arrow, and then she crushed at no. 
the uh, race in Norway last year was supposed to come back for Sears and all, but was one of the athletes that ended up having COVID and then just absolutely demolished the last two um, American races right behind Ninke, which is huge, obviously, as we know. Uh, Caitlin Fielder will be doubling back from the world championships. She, I believe, was in the top 20. Uh, she was second at Mont Blanc Marathon last year, so she has lots of experience in this race. Uh, I was with her on the downhill from um, Aguillette de Placettes. I'm probably saying that wrong. I'm sorry to everyone who is French that listens to this podcast. But Caitlin crushed that downhill and then just continued to brush from there on, just eating people up as the race went on. Um, Tris Leboeuf also just ran world championships. So these women, and same with Sylvia Nordskar. I'm just, I feel like I should just list everybody who ran world champs at this point. So uh, Daniel Omis, Caitlin Fielder, Therese Leboeuf, Sylvia Nordskar, Fabiola Conti, Oihana Cortazar. And did we decide if Matilda did run it or not? No. So Matilda did not. But so we have over half of the women in this top 10 who just came off of this really hard 46K last week. Um, and then the other women in the race are Miao Yao, who has mostly run races in China at this point. Um, Tabor Hemming, who just was third at Broken Arrow this weekend. And uh, yeah, the women's race, definitely a little fresher, or sorry, definitely a little less fresh than the men's race. But I think that makes it a little bit more exciting because it it keeps the Europeans a little tired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I I think if I were to guess what's going to happen um something that we should note is that Nike was signed up for this race uh she has her reasons why she's not racing it I'm sure she'll she'll share that when she's ready um but she pulled out uh so she honestly was kind of I was going to see what her and Sophia were going to do up front because I think this is one of Sophia's like her longest race yet I've only seen Sophia do less than three hours. Uh, but with that being said, Sophia was at the final with the stage race. Um, so I'm sure she's used to, you know, a lot of hours on her feet, uh, including on skis. Um, but just knowing these women, I'm guessing Sophia might just like go off the front, knowing that people are tired and see if she can just kind of run away with it. Meanwhile, I would assume that maybe some of the more tired women will hold back and see if she blows up. I don't know if Sophia's going to actually blow up, but like see what happens and if they can catch her in the later parts of the race. Yeah, I see Sophia Lockley kind of running away with this race just because she is fresh. I was telling Danny before we started recording that like I've done some easy running since the world championships and like I still feel trashed. So the thought of like trying to go run Mont Blanc marathon, I, I would be dragon. And a lot of these women, like you said, are better recoverers, whatever we're using as the term, um, than maybe yourself and I, but, uh, I, like, I think, a, a fresh Sophia Lockley versus some of these women tired, it's, it's like, I'd yeah. be surprised if she, uh, is to be beat, beaten. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I would say so too. I would say, honestly, someone that people might not be thinking that may be able to challenge her just a little bit is Matil Sagnus. 
Um, Matilda's actually extremely quick and she was second at OCC behind Blondine in 2022 or 2021. And she didn't do worlds. So if she is that like, and also the same year that she got second at OCC, she was just crushing on the French races, like just a bunch of local, more well-known races there. Um, so if she's fresh, she might, she might go with Sophia. I could see her doing that, but I can't personally, my body hurts thinking about the triple of Zagama worlds and then Mont Blanc. Um, honestly, I don't wish this upon anyone, but I wouldn't be surprised if somebody dropped out because they just started and they're so flat. And so it kind of brings, um, some new names into this top 10, which actually would be really exciting in my opinion. Yeah, and I also see uh, some people just not starting this race altogether. Like yes. their names are on the list right now and I could see people dropping out this this week. <laughs> yes, yeah. Once they realize they're like, oh shoot, I need to run a hard four and a half hours. I'm not doing that. Um, and then, yeah, and then just a no, final- thank you. No, thank you. On the guy side, um, I think it'll be a little bit more- aggressive with a group in front. Whereas the women's side, we kind of see maybe Sophia taking it out. I could see Remy going out, Eli going out, um, Manuel going out because he knows he has the advantage on technical downhill. So to be there at the right position at the top of that very steep climb after Valorcine uh, or before Valorcine where he can just like probably put 10 minutes on some people. Um, I think that'll be an interesting spot for it. Do you want to call your podiums? Yeah. Oh God. I don't know if I'm ready for that, but I'll try it anyways. So I would say that my podium today before <laughs> any drops would be Eli Hemming, uh, Remy Bonet, and then Manuel Marias. And then on the women's side, I think it's probably uh, Sophia Lockley. And then this one's hard for me, but Probably Matilde, and then I think Daniela. Nice. Yeah, I love how... What about you? I love how... Um, I'm going to put Remy in first, and then uh, Manuel, and then Eli. So same guys, just a little bit of a different order. And then on the women's side, Sophia Lockley, and... Oh my gosh, this is hard. Um, <laughs> I'll go with Sylvia Nordiskar and uh, Caitlin Fielder in the top three. Um, all right, Sylvia. Only I'm putting Sylvia in there because out of all of these girls, she's done the most longer races. So even though she's tired, she's done a handful of hundred Ks. So I feel like maybe she might be a little bit more ready than everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Dang. Cool. Well, well yeah, th I'm glad. I'm excited to watch the races. It'll be fun. If you live in Europe, tune in. If you live in the U.S., hopefully it's on YouTube. And um, stick around with for our interview with Stian Angermund. Uh, he was the world champ just a few days ago, basically, and he has actually won this race in the past before. Uh, we're excited to chat with him. And today we have with us Stian Angerbun. 
He's a Norwegian trail runner representing ASICS and has submitted cemented himself as one of the best mountain runners in our sport ever. With a string of impressive wins at many notable races, he has secured the prestigious title of Golden Trail World, World Series champion in both 2018 and 2021. And adding to his already impressive record, Stian recently claimed the world championship in the 46K, um, which was his second world championship win in six months. He won in Thailand back in November and in Austria last week. Welcome, Stian. Yeah, thank you so much. And thank you for the kind words. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have a very impressive resume, so it was... Uh, quite easy to put put those words together. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Nice to be here. Yes. Um, so how are you recovering after Worlds? That was only like nine or 10 days ago at this point. You start to feel, feel okay now. I haven't had any hard sessions yet. I've been starting to do some easy long runs. And the plan today was to do an interval, but uh, because my daughter, she, is, uh, she has fever, I tried to do it on treadmill, but she didn't sleep very much. So, uh, the hard session was interrupted a couple of times. <laughs> yeah. Were you doing it on the treadmill since she was sick? Yeah, because then I can't leave home. Yeah. Nor normally, I like to run outside because it's the nicest. But uh, yeah. Yeah, no, it's nice to have the treadmill there, though, so you can train while she's napping or attempting to nap. Yeah. <laughs> um. So... You, like for Danny and I, are somebody that uh, we know really well because we have been a part of the Golden Trail World Series. Danny's been to a couple world championships. I've been to one now. But a lot of people in America don't know who you are. And so I want to start by just kind of going through your background. Um, I know that you were into biathlon before you were a trail runner. So how long did you pursue biathlon before you switched over to trail running? Yeah. I, uh, let me think. I, I, I believe I started biathlon when I was around 12 years old and I did compete until I was 20, 21 years old or something. So I was not very good at it, but I really love the sport. It's awesome sport. When you combine two things that normally doesn't, uh, work together uh, and that's uh, that is super fun so I did it until like all my friends stopped doing it and I was tired of going alone in the penalty round so uh, then I stopped <laughs> and did you get into trail running uh, like I know a lot of Nordic skiers in the U.S. like trail run uh, during the summer as part of their training for Nordic skiing is that kind of how you got into trail running no, like I did some running during summer because it's natural to do some, yeah, to, for running when you compete on, on skis. But I, it was actually a couple of years after I stopped, uh, stopped my career, but like stopped doing biathlon. When I start, uh, I moved to the city where I live now, which in, is Bergen in the west coast of Norway. And then I saw the community here with the, with uphill running. That was a big thing. And I just... Uh, figure out uh, yeah that was fun so that was uh, yeah three two three years after I stopped biathlon I was gonna ask how you got into um, VKs but it seems like you just said that Bergen has a really good um, just like uphill running community so tell us a little bit about that yeah it has been uh, kind of like a big wave of uphill running races in Norway for several years that that wave has more or less ended now 
but we had like tons of uphill races uh, around like every hill in Norway had an uphill race. It feels like it. Uh, so, uh, and we had like a national series of up and running races and national championship. We still have the national championship and, uh, for yeah, the, uphill for uphill running. Cool. So, uh, we, we haven't called it VK. We don't have a, like vertical kilometer is something we don't have a lot of here in Norway, but, uh, yeah, most races are between like, I don't know, 300 to up to 1800 vertical meters. I don't know what I said, Pete's, but, uh, yeah. yeah. That's steep. <laughs> yeah, like it's uh, uh yes, some races is quite steep. Like we have here in uh, in Bergen, we have a famous stair race. It's called Stolze Climbing Up. It's uh, a race where distance is uh, uh, let's me think uh, less than uh, nine hundred meters, and the elevation gain is three hundred meters. So it's uh, it's like a thirty six percent or something. Yeah, and the record is uh, less than eight minutes, so it's like super oh intense short race. But uh, there are more. Uh, this race is organized in September every year, and there are around five thousand people participating. So it's That's it's cool. a big thing. They started one by one, so it's, you can't send everyone together. But uh, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a fun thing. Uh, so I guess I don't know much about Bergen. I just like I didn't imagine. Is it kind of um, like do you guys have lots of fjords and stuff? In Bergen, or is it? Yeah, yeah. What's we the have, geography there? Yeah, we have have fjords here, uh, not like big fjords, but uh, south and north of Bergen have like big fjords. Okay, uh, but we have uh, nice mountains. We call them city mountains. They are uh, nice small mountains with uh, up to six hundred meters tall. So it's not tall, but like if you run up and down several of them, then you get uh, a good berth. <laughs> so it's, yeah, uh, it's a nice place for running. And the temperature here during winter is around zero degrees. So it depends on the winter if you have a lot of snow or not. So, but uh, people are running in these hills the whole year, no matter if it's snow or not. If it's icy, people just put on spike shoes and run with that. And if it's a lot of snow, people just run there. And then uh, after several people pass, then you have a trail there. So there's no problem. That's really cool. Yeah, this this year was... So Danny lives in Mammoth, but this year was uh, the first year that I got like a real winter experience in Reno. We got a ton yeah. of snow and I, the snowshoers did like such good work packing down the trails for us to like run, you know, just a little bit. Cause otherwise I was just running on roads this winter, which is not for me. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think for trail running, you need to do like more up and downhill, I guess, or it depends yeah. uh, where you're racing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So living in Bergen during winter, I, so I always say every single winter, I tell myself like, okay, I'm not going to run as much. I'm going to ski uphill. Like that's going to be what I do. And then I end up signing up for like a half marathon on the roads and I train really hard on the roads. So I did some uphill skiing this, uh, winter, my husband, that's like all he did. He was just hammering it out all winter long. Um, do you uphill ski in Bergen? Uh, not in the city mountains, but behind the mountains we have behind there, there is snow condition is more stable and there we do some skiing. Have you always done that in the winter? Like, do you periodize your training so that you don't run as much during the winter and you run more, uh, when it's warmer or is that something new? Uh, no, I run the whole year. <laughs> <laughs> nice. 
Yeah, I mean, you were just saying that people people run on the hills pretty much no matter what. Yeah, but we also ski. So like it's a combination in during the winter. And do you more uh, Nordic ski or do you uphill more frequently? Yeah, like the last years I've been doing more of this uh, randonnée or ski touring. Okay. Like uphill, uphill ski. So uh, yeah. I've done more of that. And I think it's it's fantastic because then you like make your own tracks. Just go up and then like it's more... I feel more freedom. Like when you do trail running, you don't need to follow the trail. You can just go up a hill if you want. It's uh, yeah. I like the, the the feeling of freedom. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, because when you're when you're Nordic skiing, you're stuck to a track. Exactly. <laughs> it's kind of like road running almost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man! So, bringing your like biathlon back into this, are there? Because you said that you took like a two year break in between um from when you stopped run, doing biathlon and when you started trail running like what were you doing in the meantime was that like you know you took a total break or were you doing some other type of training yeah like i'm not sure like it was two years or three years i don't remember but uh i had a couple of years doing minimal of sport uh, i did yeah some like longer cross-country skiing races and i was biking a little bit was but not any like serious training just now and then uh yeah doing some activities with friends uh, and then yeah i just fall in love with the upper running i find that super interesting because i feel like you know most people either have been running their whole lives or like they played a different sport but they started running while they were playing that sport and like never really yeah. had like this break it was always continuous so to to have our two-time world champion be someone who took <laughs> two to three years of just like nothing really that serious. Um, I think that's cool for some people to hear that you don't have to be like, you know, somebody who was at the top of your sport for years and years and years to have as much success as you've had. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, I think... It it depends on the sport. I think in some type of sport, maybe when it comes to running, maybe shorter distance on track, then you maybe need to start early. But I think in trail running, you don't need to be that fast. It's yeah. more about the capacity. So then you can start later on. So uh, when it comes to my my break in uh, in sport, then uh, it I guess some of the reason was. Uh, was because that when I did biathlon, that was the sport I did a lot with my dad. He was like there all the time supporting me and uh, only compared uh, me with myself, not with the top. I think that was a very genius thing he did. But then when I was almost 19 years old, he died. And I continued doing biathlon for a year or two more. I don't remember. And then I, uh, then I figured out it was he was not there and it was not like that fun anymore. And all my friends stopped doing it. And then, then I also stopped and I didn't have any motivation for it. And then I took a couple of years, like, yeah, I didn't, was not super motivated for like compete in sport. Uh, and then when I moved to Bergen, I start figure out, ah, it was, uh, I got the motivation back again and figure out it was awesome uh, to, to run in the trails. And what I really like with, with trail running or sky running or mountain running, whatever you call it is, is the, combination of movement or, or, or movement of running that i think is feels fantastic but also like the uh, to hang out in the nature 
I really like to hang out in the mountains and uh, in beautiful nature. And that combination for me is just perfect. Yeah, I totally agree. I come from a track background. And uh, when I tried to like continue doing track on my own and not like for, you know, my team, it was mm-hmm. so boring. And so that's why I kind of moved to the the trails is like, I just loved moving in the mountains with the scenery and like, there's not really any structure and it's, yeah. it's such a fun sport. It is. And it's so simple. Like when I did biathlon, you need to wax the skis. You need to always need to drive somewhere where you can both ski and shoot. And it's like a lot of preparation and stuff. Uh, and uh, after the races, you need to like uh, clean your gun and everything. With with running, it's just so simple. Just put on the shoes and go. And if the shoes are dirty, you just stand in the river and it cleans the shoes and then dries and it's fine again. It's, it's fantastic. Yes. <laughs> Truly. Um, that's. That's awesome. And so, um, I guess in terms of training, are you, do you have a coach or are you kind of willy nilly self-coached? Uh, self-coach. Okay. I, I actually, I, I never had a coach. And so I get, how do you, where does your training philosophy kind of come from for yourself? Like, uh, when it comes to, I never had a coach. We had like, uh, when I did Bison, we have some like organizing, uh the training everyone of us, us did together and he, he exp- gave us some weekly plans we could do so i guess that was uh the first time i actually learned something about training uh, and after that i've been uh, uh, talking with people and just testing stuff and figure out uh something that I, that works on my body <laughs> That's that's cool that you had like a an organization that just kind of gave you guys training plans because you have to be so self-motivated if you like want to like be successful in a sport where they're just like, oh, you could do this or you also don't have to. Yeah, true. <laughs> and so <laughs> I think, I think it's, 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 it's fun to just try different things and figure out what works. Yeah. What is a like what does a typical week look like for you what uh what kind of workouts do you prefer to do it depends a little bit on the air i do uh i uh have uh four different periods during the year yeah so when the when the season is done i have an off season that is normally around 3 weeks and the goal of those three weeks is to get as much distance as possible away from running, like physically okay. and mentally. So yeah. I try not to run at all. Maybe I do go to the gym or do some stretching, walking a little bit around. If it's good weather, I can do some biking. Uh, mentally, I don't like. I don't look at Instagram. I don't look at uh, anything that has to do with running. And the goal for that is just to miss running. I always miss running like after a couple of days, but I think it's good to just get some distance away from it. And I've been talking with several runners and many are dare, don't dare to do it. But I think it's uh, in order to be like very focused over time, you need, need also to disconnect. So that's like, that's around three weeks. And after that, I go through winter training where I focus more on uh, Big volume, a lot of elevation gain, and yes, some intervals. But I'm 
the volume of the interval is not that big. And after that, uh, during the spring, I uh, go to a new new period where I'm focusing more on getting shape for the season. So I tr still try to keep up a big volume, but maybe a little bit less than during winter. And I have uh, the the volume of the the intervals are bigger. And during the the race season, then the the week change. Yeah, from race to race, it's uh, there are maybe more specific training sessions, and it could be like a rest week and then preparation week and then racing week, and like it's changing all the time. Yeah, and especially um, because I know you've done Golden Trail for a while, and um, I, I did Golden Trail for the first time last year, and each race is so different that like yeah. each little period in between those races is like the training is just wildly insane and different <laughs> at that, least that, it was true. for me well, yeah. what races did you do i did Mont Blanc marathon so i focused like a lot on vert because that was yeah. the biggest the most like uh vert i'd ever done in a race and then after that i went to sears and all so we were focusing on like quicker vert but also just like getting fast again and then yeah. i did pike's peak ascent so oh, yeah. we mostly just like did the same thing as sears and all but i tried to get up to like 10 to 14,000 feet a couple of times, mm -hmm. like for training yeah, runs just, leading into it. Yeah, just you get used to the altitude. Yeah. Cause I live at altitude, but not nearly that high. And so, yeah, those, those races, like once you get into that season, it's just every little block is so different. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And that's, um, that's cool though. So you started your career kind of as an uphill runner and mm -hmm. So I'm curious, obviously uphill running is really popular in Norway. It's like fairly popular in Sweden as well, but they don't have as many mountains as you guys do. Yeah. Do you wish that like the VK circuit would return? I feel like it's not as popular now mm. as it used to be. Yeah, I think uh, because of uh, maybe it's more, many reasons for it, but I think uh, a big reason for less VK or less level in VK is that uh, the whole level of uh, trail running is just uh, get better and better. And when I started doing this, uh, I started with sky running. And there often you have uh, on Friday, you have a VK and then on Sunday you have a sky race. And there was a lot of people did co combine it. But now the level is so good that it's, uh, you, you can't combine it because if you run past on the VK, then you don't have legs for the sky race. So, yeah, uh, I, I, I think it's sad because I think I really like VKs. So may, maybe sky running in the future could be a series of I think they have way too many races. Maybe it could be like five races, but all the races there, all the race weekends, it's double racing. So you need to do VK and sky race, and you get points of both. So you have to do both. I think that could be awesome. That would be awesome. I know that I was thinking about that because I saw that you had won the Zagama VK and like the Zagama race uh, yeah. in one weekend. And I was like, how did he do that? That's insane. <laughs> but like, I mean, it makes sense if you, if you kind of started in the sport doing this, like double the VK to sky race thing, it's, it's definitely doable. You just have to make like, if everybody's doing it, it's doable. But now, like you said, the competition is so high that you got to be like, ready to go fresh on the yeah. on the longer day 
I think it's still possible to combine it, but then you need to do maybe more tapering than normal for those races. And that, that means maybe you could be, uh, uh, you can't do that too often. Yeah, you'd have to race less than what most series are asking asking people to do right now. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, because again, with all those races, like your your training is way different, but also you're constantly like building back up and tapering back down and building back up. And you don't yeah. want to do that too frequently. It seems like before people are just racing maybe one or two races every weekend and you did like the whole summer. Oh my gosh. I don't know how. I like even <laughs> in college when I was a like a distance athlete and the furthest I ran was the 3k steeple. Like all yeah. I, I raced like maybe three or four times a season. <laughs> but, but those races, you destroy your body completely. Like Sometimes. when you run in the trails, of course it, it's uh, hard on the legs, but like it, it's not, uh, it's not as bad as running on, on the track. Yeah. The dirt is so different. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Even, even after this, the world championships, like I was, pretty sore but i could have run the next couple of days you know if i had any need to <laughs> yeah like, like it, me, me too like often yeah. after these races we have this kind of walking i call it penguin walk you know, <laughs> yes. they're wiggling from side to side with straight legs so you can't bend any uh, bend your knees it's, yeah uh, <laughs> that's typical walking for me like after many of those races Yep. Whereas like after a steeplechase, like my whole body would hurt. Like my, my ribs would hurt. My calves Whoa. would hurt. My shins would hurt. I've it's, never tried yeah. that before. It could be cool to try it once. I think you'd be pretty good at it. I mean, you're a trail I'm runner. Sure. It's fun to try it. Like yeah. we have this, uh, with my running club, we have this uh, track uh, races for those of us that don't know, doesn't know what track run, running is. Yeah, I've been up there a couple of times doing some races. So we had this. Uh, it was one time we did the eight hundred meters, and then they had Ouch. to explain us. We had to start in each line, <laughs> and that after one uh, curve, curve. Then we, then you could, yeah, then you could, everyone everyone could go into the same line. But like, still, was someone running in the uh, line number eight or six or whatever uh, at at curve number two? So you had to shout at him to come into the <laughs> to the first line. So. But I think it's cool. Like we have no idea what we're doing and it's awesome. <laughs> that is cool. How did you like the 800? Uh, I, it was a shock for the body. I was like, I was done before I realized I started. So yeah. It was, uh, was weird. But I think it's, it's very impressive. Like uh, when you look at television, it's like, yeah, it's fast. Okay. But like when you do it and feel the, feel the race on your own body, then you, and you see your time and then you can see, look at television and see like, the fast time then like then you understand like well this is actually serious they're super fast yeah I, in my head the 800 is like the equivalent of the vk in trail running yeah <laughs> it's but... just like it's short and it hurts so bad the whole time you can't ever let up <laughs> yeah but they, they must be training so hard on like pushing when you're tired to push like this barrier yeah. Also, like the four hundred meters, I, I, yeah, it's crazy how fast they, how good they are to push their body to run uh, with so much pain. Yeah, my favorite workout that I used to give my eight hundred athletes was um, four by four hundred at like race pace, and they would get like really big recovery in between, but they had to, they had to do four of them, and it's a workout that I would never want to do myself, but like. <laughs> 
<laughs> it was it was a fun one to give them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so you're not joining them while they are doing this session? Absolutely not. I would I would occasionally <laughs> join for like some 10k workouts, do some okay, two mile yeah. reps. <laughs> <laughs> but I was, I was never an 800 meter runner. So that, uh, that's a no for me. Yeah. We'll see, we'll see what happened in the future. <laughs> yeah, me, I, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm thinking we got to get Steon in a, uh, in a steeplechase. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you being a trail runner, you'll be like pretty decent at hurdling because you're good at like sighting. And so you yeah, can we'll like come up on a hurdle pretty well. <laughs> yeah we'll see it could be fun to try it at least <laughs> yeah just do a couple laps you don't even have to do a whole 3k yeah <laughs> oh man so you have won the golden trail world series twice now in 2018 yeah. and 2021 um but you were absent in the the series last year um i am assuming it's because you were trying to train for worlds but i'm just wondering why you decided to switch away from the golden trail i've been running golden trail in uh, 2018 19 uh yeah 20 was like this uh the golden trail championship and 21 so i felt like i done it now and the series is yeah most the same races all over again and again so i was ready to try something new and uh, I last year I went to Italy to do several races there, and Italy has so many awesome races. They are horrible at promoting the races. They, they have like marketing skills is like on zero. <laughs> they are really bad on that. But they could have some fun races. They're not that uh, like uh, you know when you do many of these other races, you have like the mandatory list is is huge. But on, on this, it's like, yeah, you just bring your wind jacket. We won't check it. And you run on this crazy summit and down again. It's awesome. What what races did you do in Italy last year? Just I you did, can do the promoting for them. <laughs> yeah. No, I did uh, one race in the La Sportiva Mountain Running Cup. That is, uh, I'm not sure they have it anymore, but they have like some awesome races. Uh, so I did one that is uh, called Ledro Sky Race. It's co- close to uh, the Garda Lake, where they have the Moon Sky Race. That is maybe more known, uh, more known race. That was a uh, yeah, fun, short sky race of 20 kilometers or something. And then I did the Livigno Sky Race. But the best experience was to do Monterosa Sky Race. And that, that race I did with my girlfriend. Uh, because that, that race, you, need, uh, you run on the glacier. Then, then you need to be two, so you're attached with rope. And there you start at, uh, what's it, 1,100 meters altitude and run up to 4,500. So it's uh, around 3,500 vertical meters up and down uh, with 35 kilometers. So it's like pretty steep up and down. It's awesome. That's so we had like, Yeah, it was, uh, it was a fantastic day out there. So my girlfriend and I was running together and that was uh, one of my best running memories. I'm that I'm glad that you say that that's one of your best running memories, because when I hear that, I'm thinking of my husband and I doing something like that together. <laughs> and I'm not yeah, sure you should. that you I'm should not sure that we do. would have as much of a positive experience. <laughs> no, but like you're super fit. There's no problem for you guys to finish it and just have an awesome day out there. 
yeah, I guess you're right. It doesn't always have to be about like going hard. Exactly. So uh, for for us, like for me, it was not that that hard. For my girlfriend, it was very hard because it was uh, less than a year since we got a daughter, and uh, she did came straight from sea level, so no acclimatization. That's a difficult word. Uh, and then. Uh, <laughs> She had a uh, lack of sleep and she had been had our daughter uh, alone for two weeks before that. And she's been uh, training like two hours or something the last month before the race. So she was not prepared at all. And she just pushed maximum from the beginning and we made it. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. Uh, oh, sorry. Keep okay. going. Yeah, and then another race I did uh, in Italy was uh, Trophy Okima. That's uh, also a fun race with some uh, quite technical and steep uh, sections. It's also a race That's I can recommend. But Monterosso Sky Race is that uh, I think, uh, yeah, most people that uh, like uh, are like up and down downhill should do that one. That happened uh, just this weekend, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think I saw some footage. Uh, I think Tony McCann was out there spectating, yeah. and that's the first time I had heard of it. And I noticed that people were attached to each other. <laughs> yeah, like it's one of the like uh, original sky races. So the, I think maybe that's where it started, or like among those races. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Um, so you spent the whole summer in Italy. And so I'm curious how, how you went in terms of training from training for these sky races in Italy to preparing for Thailand, which was the world championships last year. Yeah. Um, I had it in my mind the whole year, but last year of training was no good at all because our, uh, daughter didn't sleep well from, um, from February, when my girlfriend stopped uh, breastfeeding, we start giving her uh, milk, like normal milk. And in September, we figured out that was not a good idea. And we figured out she is allergic to milk. So uh, she, she was waking up uh, yeah, 10, 15 times a night and struggled to sleep again. So it works like for a night or two, but like when it's been like month with bad sleep, then it has a huge effect on training and performance. So uh, uh, my goal for last year was to win the Sky Running World Championship and the, the Trail Running World Championship. And at the, the Sky Running World Championship in uh, the beginning of, uh, or early in September, there my body just were, uh, didn't work at all. So I started the VK and I was uh, only pain and uh, I struggled to, to run at all. And I ended up not uh, starting the Sky Race. That was a big disappointment, but uh, yeah, shit happens. And then we went uh, went home and we got some good sleep. And after a couple of weeks, I feel felt that uh, uh, my body finally start to uh, uh, recover. And from there, I had uh, five, six, or I think five very good weeks of training before uh, the World Championship in Thailand. So there, my training volume was huge, and I. Uh, pushed myself really hard on the hard sessions and luckily it was enough for uh, for performing at the at the championship i mean i'd say so you uh, had a great race 
Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, so definitely. How big was your training block before the Sky Running World Championships? Because, and then like, are your training blocks normally five to six weeks long? Uh, no, it, before the trail running was around five weeks because that was the amount of week left to the, to the race. So, uh, but yeah, before now this, the world championship here in, uh, in Innsbruck, I was focusing on this for a uh, way, way longer. Like it, it's not like, uh, I can say like now I start training for, uh, for this race. It's just, I think the training for the world championship starts, uh, several months earlier but then you're training like for the whole season and it gets more and more specific for the race the closer you get to the race yeah and so did you have to make like a pretty big shift in training from thailand to innsbruck because i feel like those were two very different races in terms of like the terrain and also just like the type of race and competition like i feel like the the race in innsbruck is probably more of what you're used to whereas like thailand was a little bit kind of weird for everybody yeah <laughs> uh yeah i've never been in thailand before either innsbruck so uh in innsbruck i didn't know anything about the trails so i was uh, very curious when i went down there that's why i went down two and a half weeks before to, just to check it out but the main difference uh between the training for those two races was that uh I didn't do any heat acclimatization before Innsbruck. Before uh, the World Championship in Thailand, I uh, took my bike and went over to the uh, clubhouse or uh, for uh, my running club. And there they have a sauna. So I just put my bike in there and turned on the sauna. I was sitting there and feeling miserable for an hour and did that a couple of times. And uh, that helped a lot for, for the heat in Thailand. It's funny to hear you say that because I, I heat trained for Austria because as Danny knows last year, uh, at Mont Blanc marathon, the humidity hit me so hard because I live in such a dry place that oh, I yeah. like when I was, you know, saw like the average humidity for Innsbruck, I was like, I got to get in the sauna. <laughs> I need to be prepared <laughs> for this, <laughs> but it could be super warm in the, in the valleys, in the Alps. It was actually I mean, I don't know how you felt about the first seven, eight miles, but it was hot before it started raining. Yeah, and I was so, so happy when I saw like the dark clouds up there, like, ah, oh, this is going to be good. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, the dark clouds probably feel right at home for you, where you're from. <laughs> yeah, like Bergen, where I live, is known for rain. So uh, w when I go to races and say, hey, you no, know, it's five degrees uh, Celsius and rain, like, yeah, it's normal. So it's, it's fantastic. <laughs> so you, you, uh, the Sky Running World Championships were somewhat of a disappointment because you weren't really able to even participate because you were so sleep deprived. And then yeah. you have the five week cycle before the World Championships in Thailand and you win. And so was then the plan to like, go straight into training for Innsbruck? Um, because I know you did Istria as well before Innsbruck. Yeah. Uh, I, I took three weeks off doing uh, no running. And then I uh, in December, I started building up the, the volume again. In January, February, March, I had a huge, uh, I don't remember the amount of hours, but I had like a big, uh, big block of, uh, of training. 
and uh, Virch. And yeah, Istria I did because I wanted to qualify for this uh, UTMB race called OCC. So uh, in order to, to do that race, I had to do this uh, Istria race in, in Croatia. And that was fun. Like I've never been in Croatia before. Yeah, no, that looked like a beautiful race. And it was cool seeing you finish with your uh, your teammate there, uh, yeah. who's also new to A6. Um, and so I also just like want to touch on t- one more thing with Thailand. How did it feel to win? Because that was your first world championship win, right? Yeah, in, in trail running. I won uh, in back in 2016 in, uh, in sky running. So that was a fantastic and also emotional feeling to to win that race. It was, uh, yeah, it was cool. Like I feel it was a team uh, performance with my girlfriend. So I feel that uh, half of the gold gold medal is hers. So I think like the most, to me, the most right thing was be that we will cross the finish line together. So, uh, yeah. I love that. So your girlfriend is the, the president of Nordic Sky Running, correct? Yeah. How did you guys meet? Uh, we met during, uh, yeah, d- during races. Like the, the first Sky Race uh, both of us did were, were the same. That was the Dolomit Sky Race in 2014. But we didn't know each other there. We didn't met there at all. But uh, and then she went like all in and did the Sagama the following year and uh, a lot of races in Italy. She were the Italian skyrunning champion in 2016 or 17. I don't remember. So yeah, she moved. She is from Denmark and she moved to the to Switzerland and stayed there for three years, running all the races way before I did. And I started a little bit later, and then we just met at uh, at races. How long have you guys been together? For, so like since 2014? No, we've been okay. together <laughs> in a little bit, little bit more than three years. Oh, okay. So everything so has moved, everything I went pretty fast. <laughs> yeah. When did you guys decide to have a family? Uh, yeah, like we, we got together in, was it like January, February in uh, 20, 2020? And then COVID uh, hits us, <laughs> uh, and then we, uh, yeah, maybe we pushed uh, the rules about the COVID a little bit to go from Norway to Denmark a couple of times. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, we we talked about it in August, and then she was pregnant uh, in uh, November. So it was quite fast. <laughs> You're going who's, to uh, who's- Oh, sorry. I was just going to ask who's the better downhiller. <laughs> yeah, she she's an awesome downhiller and I'm more of an uphiller. So if our daughter should maybe start running, hopefully she gets skills from both of us. <laughs> it sounds like she'll if, if she gets skills from even one of you, it'll be OK. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see what she is. The, what's her interest when she uh, become older? Like we, we yeah. won't push her to do sport like I hope she will enjoy nature. And uh, yeah, she can do whatever her want she wants. But she will be with us in in most races. So yeah. uh, may, maybe uh, uh, she will find an interest in running. We'll see. 
Yeah. So they usually travel with you to races. Yeah, we uh, we've done that several times. So um, yeah. So most well, most time, most of the the last years have been like they following me to races, but I also hope in the future my my daughter and I will follow my girlfriend to races as well. That's awesome. Yeah, that that's really cool that she has both mom and dad to follow around to to cool places. What yeah. has been the like the most surprising thing that has come with fatherhood and training and competing that you weren't necessarily expecting? Um, hmm. Like lack of sleep is uh, definitely one of them. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, of course, it's a big difference. Like it's not only me. Like I need to focus more on like it's... Uh, we're a family and not like I can just go solo. So, but uh, yeah, when I'm tired of the training sessions, my, and my daughter just runs around and like, I, uh, it could be hard just to uh, stand on my legs and run after her <laughs> when I'm tired. But uh, besides that, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's not like a big difference. It's just, uh, it's nice. It's, uh, it's cool with like this small uh, creature there running around and uh, yeah, like I, I never been focused that much on babies before, but when you have your own, it's, it's special. It's, uh, it's so nice to see her uh, learn new skills and uh, now she can understand everything we're saying. We can't understand her yet, but uh, what she is saying, but uh, it's, uh, it's super fun. How, how old is she? She she is a year and ten months. Oh, so, so now cute. she's running around and she she's super fan of jumping. <laughs> that's that's maybe, cool. Yeah, maybe she'll be a basketball player or a track and field jumper. <laughs> yeah, like basketball, definitely not. But like we're so short. <laughs> like uh, I'm, uh, yeah, very low. My girlfriend is also low, and our daughter is like clearly the lowest person in the whole kindergarten. She's not the youngest, <laughs> but the lowest. So, uh, <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that. <laughs> so, you guys getting to Thailand was a joint effort. Did do you feel like it got easier, like leading into Innsbruck, or or was like the challenge of having a kid and training the same? Yeah, it's, uh, I think it was much of the much of the same. Like. Uh, in in Thailand, then she she started going to kindergarten in was it September last year, and since then she's like uh, she's been sick so many times. Now she's like less sick, so it's a good thing. <laughs> but the last autumn was uh, yeah felt like uh, my daughter and girlfriend had like a relay of becoming sick. Uh, for me, I was lucky didn't take part that many times, but though <laughs> they were changing all the times. Uh, so I feel sorry for them, but now it's getting a little bit better. Yeah. And you found out that she was allergic to milk, which I'm sure helped you guys adjust as well. Oh, that helps so much. Like leading up to this, uh, Skyrunning world championship, my girlfriend told me that, okay, now I can have two weeks of proper sleep before the race. And that was very kind of her. But during those two weeks, I just get more and more tired. 
when I started, I don't know why, but I was yeah super tired. And then two weeks after the championship, uh, still sleeping well, then I start to recover. It took like four weeks of good sleep to recover from half a year with no sleep. Yeah, I bet. Maybe you had finally gotten <laughs> acclimated to living without sleep and then you had to yeah. get better. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So then you leave Thailand, you've won it, and the next World Championships is like only six months away. Do you immediately just switch gears to Innsbruck? Like an Istria was just a kind of like a tune-up or like, I don't know. I'm just curious, like, how you thought about Innsbruck being the world champion and wanting to come back and win it again? Uh, I try not to focus too much on Innsbruck before like New Year's. And after that, I uh, it was more and more on my mind and more and more during my, especially yeah, both easy and hard runs, I was focusing on thinking about this race. But I think it was good to have some weeks after Thailand just to try and to doing different things. Trying not to think about like yeah, the next world championship is yeah half a year away. So, um, but yeah, the the focus on this race uh, was uh, greater and greater the closer I get to the race. What were some key sessions that gave you some confidence leading into the championship? And did you have confidence that you could potentially win again? Uh, because I won the in Thailand, then I knew it was possible to win in Innsbruck, but I knew it was hard. And I was very curious to see which runner that will would show up. And I think the level in Innsbruck was uh, fantastic. But I did uh, uh, some some session I, I did were the same. Like I have a hill over here that I run first an uphill interval and I jog easy down and I do a flat interval. And I repeat that three times. And uh, I did that uh, this year where I uh, actually was running faster on all the intervals than, than last year. And I was like, okay, this is good. Then I was happy. Then I was like more, more confident. Do you, so like for me personally, because I feel like these last two championships, it, they've always been really competitive, but I feel like people are starting to come back to them. Um, maybe more than like, I would say 2017 to 2019 when everyone still felt like they were kind of spread out in the, amongst the various competitions. Do you have an idea like why that maybe is? I, or do I you don't see know, that like, or do you agree with that? The, the thing is that uh, back in 2017, I didn't know about the championship. I'm no, I haven't heard about them because I, yeah, I'm, was doing only like the races my uh, previous sponsor did. So I haven't heard about them. The only, it was, the only championship I heard of was the, the Skyrunning Championship. And uh, yeah, this uh, uphill uh, by the mountain running uh, uh, organization. But these uh, trail running races, uh, I just recently heard of them. But I think too, that the organization organizations work together to make a bigger championship. I think that uh, make the whole event bigger and maybe more important to people. And I maybe I think like the the world championship, in my opinion, should be the ultimate thing you can do in the sport. 
So uh, hopefully they will will get there. Do you think that there's still room for improvement and like with the world championships and I guess what would those improvements be if you could change them? Uh, I think uh, there are several things like, uh, for example, they could give the same attention to men and women. Like what I heard, I haven't seen the live, but what I heard is that uh, they stopped the live broadcast after woman number four was finishing. That means like no one saw you finish. Yeah, my family was pissed because I yeah. finished ninth. <laughs> yeah, a ninth, it's an awesome performance and yeah. no one sees it. That That's super sad. So that is definitely something they need to change. But I think uh, what I heard with the live was, was very good. But uh, yeah, so those things, they have to, they have to make it equal. Uh, and then... Uh, Maybe prize money should be closer to what they have in the other biggest events. So maybe uh, stuff like this. But I think generally it's a very good event. Uh, what, what do you guys think? I agree. I think with the commercialization of the sport right now, like the best way to get the best athletes into the, into the world championship to compete against one another, uh, a big thing would be prize money because there are just too many series out there now that offer better prize money. And all of these, you know, events like overlap so often. Yeah. But I think they also said that the, the championship should be before the 15th of June and after the 15th of September. So we try to avoid some of the other big events. That is maybe a good thing. But yeah, the price money, if you just have like the same price money, just add a zero at the end of uh, <laughs> that, and maybe that, that could help. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because I mean, this year, it's like weird as it was to have it in June, it wasn't bumping up against any other uh, like series finales. Whereas like last year at Thailand, I know at least some in the US, like that was a big issue for a lot of the people that were competing in mm -hmm. the series is like, they were like, Oh, well, I, I'm not going to go to world championships because I have golden trail or like the other way yeah. around. And so, yeah, there's, I thought that June was hot, but it was good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's, uh, yeah, I think it was, uh, was good. I, for me, it was, was perfect. And like, we can say like check now it's it's a uh, low shoulder enjoy enjoy the rest of the season yeah yeah exactly yeah mm. i think for me too something i was thinking about while you guys were all racing is if there'd be any benefit to the world championships partnering with races that already have a lot of prestige to them you know because mm. the last couple of courses have been you know in, in Thailand and in Innsbruck and Innsbruck was somewhat known because they have that trail festival. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's something that I've just been thinking about if, if that would be possible. Cause I feel that a lot of the races that still get a lot of our attention have a lot of history to them and have, you know, kind of a legacy. Um, and then they also have prize money and, and added that to the end. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, price um, money is, it helps. Like for, for me, I like I'm not getting rich in this sport, but uh, I think to get the yeah the best possible level, it helps a little bit. But first of all, have a good event. That's uh, the most important. 
Yeah, no, definitely. Um, but yeah, speaking of sponsors, you switched sponsors this year to ASICs. And yeah. we were just wondering if, um, well, one, it was cool to see you finish with your uh, teammate in Innsbruck, or not, sorry, not Innsbruck, Istria, and the brand yeah. be so supportive of that, which I thought was really cool. Um, but yeah, just talk about that decision process. I'm assuming it was hard being that you're, you're with your previous brand for so long. Yeah, it, uh, yeah, like w- when I was decided to switch brand, my main focus was to find uh, a team manager that I know is there for me, that I am, uh, is supportive, talk positive to me. And like, it's, it's a good person. Uh, and I uh, came across this uh, guy, team manager in, uh, in Essex, Laurent, a French guy. Uh, super kind. Uh, it's it's a guy that uh, is very supportive. And then uh, I know several people in in the team already, and they have like a good team spirit. They're there for each other, and this is what I'm I'm searching. So I also met the team for the first time in the beginning of March. We had a training camp in France, and that was very nice. It's so many kind people and they are a good atmosphere and the race in Istria in Croatia was my first race with them and uh, I'm thrilled about being part of this fantastic brand uh, we are to me it's a, I think we are a very good team together like we're everyone there are at the finish line supporting each other Someone do do make may, are making the goals. Others are uh, maybe have to stop the race, but everyone's supporting each other, and this is uh, is what I'm searching, and I'm very happy to be there. I know know they have a good atmosphere in other teams as well, but I'm very happy to be uh, with uh, Team Asics. And I'm curious because in the U.S. at least, um, Asics is definitely not like a go-to for trail running brands. Mm-hmm. What did you run the world championships in? I was running in uh, in a new model that will come in. Uh, I thought it was coming in June, but maybe it's August. So yeah, uh, Asics is uh, very known for road running shoes. They are huge in that, and trail running is quite new. So they are not not very known for for those kind of shoes. Uh, it's also here in in Norway when I run. People are looking at my uh, my shoes. Like, what what is that? <laughs> so, uh, but uh, I, I'm I'm very happy with, with the shoes. But with the the model I was running in, in was called the Fuji Speed Two. Fuji is like the mountain they have over in Japan. So we mm-hmm. like the the trail running group or a team in Essex is called Fuji Trail. And I think it's yes, it makes sense within Essex, but I think Fuji Trail doesn't make sense to people outside Essex. So I think <laughs> Essex Trail is maybe a better name for it. But uh, yeah, so I was running this Fuji Speed Two. That is a shoe with the carbon plate, and uh, I'm not sure that shoe needs a carbon plate, but I think it was it felt very good to run with it. Okay, so Are now you- I have it. Okay, sorry, okay. I have a different question about shoes now that I know that there okay. was a carbon plate in there. What, how do you feel about carbon shoe, carbon in trail shoes? Because I personally, it does not work for me at all. I, I think it depends on the trails you're running at. 
So if, if you're running, uh, when you talked about earlier, like Martin Montblanc and Sears and all, there's like fast races. There maybe it's it's a good thing. Uh, but uh, in very technical races, maybe it's not that useful. But it depends also on the shoes. Because I tried, last year I tried a shoe from a different brand that has a carbon plate. And I was very skeptic when I tried it. Uh, and that is shoe designed for running very technical terrain. But I felt like the carbon plate uh, was more kind of protecting me than uh, helping me to run fast on roads. So I still felt I felt I had like good contact with the ground. So I think uh, yeah, it, it depends how they, they they are designing the shoe. Like most shoes now with carbon plate is like has like a very thick midsole. And when you run in technical terrain, for me, I feel I, I lose the contact with the ground. Like the feeling is not that good. And I feel it's easier to twist the ankle. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. So I, I like thinner shoes, but I also run like to, like to run technical terrain. When we're running, we're running this race in Croatia. It's Istria 69 kilometer or, yeah. Then it was, uh, there we were running a lot of gravel roads and on uh, on asphalt and i was running yeah. with way way too thin shoes and then my, my legs were totally destroyed at the end my teammate that I was running the race with he was running with uh, actually uh, um, a road shoe of essex but he just changed the outsole to a trail shoe trail outsole so uh, and in that race that was working uh, then it worked, worked super fine we had a guy do that um on our classic team actually he had a pair of Nike, um, whatever their carbon shoe is called, I'm totally blanking right now, but they, <laughs> he, he took the, the regular sole off and put a trail sole on the bottom of their carbon shoe. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it works if the race is super runnable. Yeah. 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 I feel like a runnable for me, I never run races that I find to be runnable enough to wear carbon, like pretty much ever. <laughs> Yeah, but as, as long as you find shoe that works for you, that that uh, that is the most important. And I think that is also maybe a little bit wrong when people are deciding what shoes they will use. You just go to a list and see this is like the best trail running shoes, but we all have different feet. So like yep. maybe the best shoe is maybe not good for you at all. Maybe number seven is better. So uh, we need to try it on our feet and run with them. Are you getting to provide a lot of feedback to their product teams just because to me asics is still growing in the trail section yeah now the the sound was a little bit bad but uh, it was something about feedback to the to asics about the shoes and april or something yeah are you going yeah, we, to provide that yeah we had actually when we were in Croatia, we had the meeting with the, one of the designers so we had like a two-hour meeting and I think I was talking constantly for two hours. And he was just taking notes, <laughs> but he was happy afterwards. But I think uh, the bigger the organization is, the longer it takes to make, like from talking to them to finally something is happening. So I think, um, yeah, in smaller brands, those that process goes way, way faster. But they are definitely listening, and uh, I'm. Very curious to see what will come in the next years. 
So, but I don't know, like the conversation we had now, and we still like communicate, uh, like have some meetings now and then, and, and sending some emails. I'm not sure when those projects will uh, products will will come. That's and for really ASICs, sad. Yeah, and for ASICs, they don't have that much um, prototypes. They're they're changing a little bit now to have like more prototypes, but in the beginning it was uh, like. Uh, at least when I started, there was like only uh, like or original. The, the thing you can buy on the market was like only that you you should uh, run with and use. Dang, that's cool. Yeah, I'm interested to see when they're going to make a bigger push in the United States, just because they've been doing the bigger push in Europe. Mm -hmm. Um. This is kind of a tangent question before we get more into the future and your schedule. Um, but Steon is an incredible downhiller. Just watch any of the YouTube videos of him online. And I'm just curious, like, how would you, because you're talking so much about downhill and the type of tread of shoes and stuff like that. But um, like, what tips would you give to people who are wanting to improve on downhill? Like top three things to focus on. Um. Yeah, I have to say, what, what, uh, thanks for compliments first. <laughs> but uh, I think uh, when I started learning downhill, that was uh, that was during races, running behind good descenters. So uh, there's a Swiss guy called Mark Lauenstein. He's an orienteer. He's a fantastic uh, downhill runner, super kind person. And I was running behind him in a couple of races and learned so much. That is uh, a tips one, just run behind someone that is good at it. And then I think uh, another good thing is to do downhill intervals. And that maybe sounds scary, but uh, I think uh, for most of trail runners, we focusing a lot on running flat and uphill. And uh, I think that should be like the, the most time you spend is focusing on this and uh, running fast downhill. It can be uh, very tiring on the body and require a long recovery. So I think downhill interval intervals is uh, should be a session that is very short uh, for several reasons. One is like to have shorter recovery and also to prevent injuries. Like if it's too long, then you can't concentrate and it's easy to do mistakes. But a downhill interval is, uh, of what I've done is uh, a short interval where I run maybe, I don't know, one to two minutes downhill. So I just go to the hill where I want to, uh, to do the interval. And that hill should be maybe as similar as possible to what you're aiming for. That means like if you're uh, doing a certain race, check the, trying to figure out as much as you can about the downhills and trying to see if you have a downhill that is something a little bit similar. And then I uh, find like the finish line and I walk up and find the start line. And then I just jog down. That is the first interval. And then you walk up again, and then you're trying to beat your own time. And then you do that six, seven times, no more. And uh, when I've done it, uh, I've done it with a friend. So we start the last interval with uh, as a relay. So I've been a couple of seconds faster than him on um, in the when we done it, like in the uh, last uh, uh, second last interval, 
and then he starts those amount of seconds ahead of me, and there's the first one down to the to the finish line. And that is an awesome session. I suggest to everyone to try it because it's super fun. But make it short to two avoid. Oh, I don't know if it's just me, but I all of a sudden could not hear you on that. Okay, no, yeah. Oh, got you now. But yeah, no, that, uh, yeah. you're good. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it may have just been me, but that sounds like a fun workout. And then you're also, if he's starting in front of you, you're doing the thing where you're like following other people downhill and, and learning from them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, so I feel like we could probably chat all day, but... <laughs> let's wrap this up tell us what is next on the calendar for you and what does the rest of the year look like yeah um let's see we will um uh, uh, i will do maybe some local yeah we'll do a three thousand meter now on uh thursday like this this uh track racing club organized Yes. For for the first time in a long time, I'll not show up with uh, super tired legs. Normally, <laughs> my legs are so tired when I go to this race, but I think it's a good speed session. So uh, I will do that, and I will do Dolomite Sky Race because it's uh, it's fun. So I will drive actually drive down from Norway to uh, to Italy. That is uh, 35, 36 hour drive. So it's a it's a long drive. So my, my dog and I will go uh, drive down to do to do that race, and then the following week, my girlfriend and daughter they will fly down to to Geneva, and I will pick them up, and then we'll hang out in the Alps until uh, this uh, UTMB. So I will do uh, maybe a race the weekend after the 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 Dolmetsk race. It's it's a race in the mountain running series, an uphill race. So maybe I'll do that and I will do Comayeur double vertical. Comayeur is the, the city on the Italian side of Mont Blanc. So that, that'll be fun. And I will run OCC. And then um, our autumn is very unclear. I, like, I don't know how it will be yet. Uh, so yeah, I will decide uh, about the autumn quite soon, but it's very open. So I've been thinking about doing uh, Grand Templier. It's a race in France. And also yeah. six has a race in November. That is, uh, I don't remember the name of it, but it, run, it goes to Lyon. It's like 86 kilometers goes uh, at night to Lyon. And it's a mix of road and trail. It's what I heard, but it's an ASIC event. So I think it could be fun to do it with uh, with the team. So, um, but yeah, that is what my uh, season looks like at the moment. What made you decide to go back to OCC? Because I believe last year you uh, started CCC. Uh, it was the year before. Oh, year before. Yeah. yeah. Um, like the, when I did, um, when we planned to do uh, CCC, then there was, uh, we planned like several months uh, before and then, it's like yeah, no problem. Like I will, uh, we will have our daughter maybe around a month before. Should be fine. And then we got our daughter. Uh, was it uh, one and a half week before I was traveling, and I was not mentally ready to go from them at all. I start missing them on the way out from from the apartment. So I should never been uh, starting uh, the CCC. 
And I also got pain in my uh, knee uh, quite early in the race. Uh, and then I should also stop there, but I was continued to run until kilometer, I don't know, 70, 80 or something. Um, yeah, so that was, uh, and I decided to stop because I don't want to get like bad injury uh, on it. So, um, but yeah, uh, UTMB is a big, is, is the biggest stage of trail running at least at the moment. And most brands are, uh, at least for the bigger brands, are focusing a lot on, on this event. So it's a big thing for ASICS to go to UTMB. So the whole team will be there. And I think it's it's going to be a fun week hanging out with the team. And then I decided to do uh, OCC because it's not that long. So, but we'll see. Maybe in the future, I will try some of the longer ones again. But uh, yeah. <laughs> Well, exactly. Danny and I will see you there. We're yeah, both, you will there. Yeah, we're both racing OCC this year. Awesome, cool. Yeah, but, uh, Danny, you had done this uh, OCC before, right? Uh, last year, yeah. Last year, I got it was my first one, and I got third. Um, so I'm really excited to to get yeah. back and see if I can do better. So sorry, I didn't know about the result because I'm horrible watching uh, results. Like I don't know my own <laughs> results. <laughs> Uh, have you done it before or have been at that that no i haven't been to the event uh because prior to this i was an an ncaa coach so it was like right at the start of cross-country season but this will be my first um occ and i'm stoked i think it's gonna be be fun like i think the courses is okay it's uh chamonix valley is beautiful and the course is like yeah it could be nicer but it's uh yes a lot of people there and the atmosphere is very good yeah. I did uh Mont Blanc Marathon last year, so I know some of the course at least. Yeah, that then you knew know some of it definitely. Yeah. So I think it will be uh, will be fun and like everyone is there. So it's gonna be gonna be cool. Yeah. Well, we're excited to follow you for the rest of the season and thanks so much for chatting with us today. And congrats again on your most recent world championship. Thank you so much, and congrats on your on your uh, ninth uh, ninth play race in uh, the championship. It was awesome. You did overtake so many at the the last part of the race. Thank you. Um, I do really enjoy climbing. So when I saw people struggling on the climb, I was like, "Now's the time." <laughs> There's your playground. Yeah. Awesome. Well, this has yeah. been the sub hub. Oh, Danny, you had something. <laughs> Oh, I was just going to say congrats too. But yeah, this has been the Sun brought to you by Free Trail. Okay, th- thank you so much. Uh, it was very nice to talk with you guys, and I'm looking forward to meet you in Chamonix. Absolutely. Absolutely.